The United Kingdom period is part of what is called the monarchy era in Israel's history. There are three major eras in Israel's history. And uh, we might call those the period of the theocracy. That's from um, uh, Abraham, theocracy, from Abraham up to Samuel and Saul. And then we have the period of the monarchy. And then we have the period of what we might call the dependency, when they were dependent upon four nations. The theocracy is from Abraham up to Saul. The monarchy is from Saul, the first king, up until the last king, whose name was Zedekiah, 586. Saul, 1050 B.C., and Zedekiah, 586 B.C. And then the dependency ran from 586 B.C. until the end of the Old Testament, 430 B.C. Six books fitted into the dependency period. Now, this is a monarchy period, and in this monarchy period, 1050 to 586 B.C., there are three of our periods in this monarchy era, called monarchy because it's ruled by a king. Monarchy. Three periods. What are those three periods? United Kingdom, divided kingdom, and single kingdom. Three periods that fit into this monarchy period, 1050 to 586 B.C., which is almost 500 years, 475 years. United Kingdom, divided kingdom, single kingdom. Now, the United Kingdom ran from 1050 to 930 B.C. Then the divided kingdom ran from 930 to 721 B.C. And then the southern kingdom continued to exist to 586 B.C. Those are the dates of those, uh, of those three periods. United Kingdom, about 120 years. The divided kingdom from 930 to 721, about 210 years. And then the single kingdom, about, um, about 135 years after the fall of the northern kingdom. United kingdom, divided kingdom, single kingdom. In the United Kingdom, all 12 tribes were ruled by one king. Those, there were, and there were three kings. In the, in the single kingdom, three kings. What were their names? Saul, David. What were their names? Saul, David, Solomon. Each reigned approximately 40 years, and that's called the United Kingdom uh, period of Israel's history. Now, last time, as we saw, there uh, four strategic events in this period of the United Kingdom. And here's the way I structure that United Kingdom, uh, uh, this monarchy period. Uh, here is the United Kingdom. United Kingdom, 120 years. The three men are Saul, David, Solomon. Then the death of Solomon, the kingdom was split. And you had two dynasties, one in the north, one in the south. Two sets of kings, one in the north, one in the south. 
you had two capitals and two religious centers. And you had prophets that went sometimes to the north, sometimes to the south. Now, the northern kingdom, called the Ten Tribes, also called Israel, uh, lasted, they divided in 930 B.C. Saul started in 1050 B.C. So that lasted about, about 120 years, the United Kingdom. The northern kingdom uh, lasted from 930 B.C. to 721 B.C. Then Assyria invaded the northern kingdom, came down through Syria, Assyria, came down through Syria, north of Palestine, and laid siege to the central city of the northern kingdom, Samaria, and devastated Samaria, and took away the people out of the northern kingdom, and repopulated them in what we would call Turkey today, and in the parts of the Fertile Crescent. That's 721 B.C., they never returned. They're the ten tribes, sometimes spoken of as the ten lost tribes. Now, that lasted for approximately 210 years. And that's called the divided kingdom, the period of the divided kingdom. Then the northern kingdom, um, uh, the southern kingdom, uh, uh, with two tribes called Judah. The ten tribes are called Israel, and the two tribes called Judah. All twelve tribes are sometimes called Israel. After they split, the ten northern tribes are called Israel. The two southern tribes are called Judah. Two southern tribes, Judah and Simeon. Judah and Simeon. Here they are, Judah and Simeon, the two southern tribes. The others are the ten northern. Now, the two southern tribes lasted for another, uh, five, from, nine, from 721 B.C. to uh, 586 B.C., 586 B.C. So, they lasted for approximately another 135 years. And in this period, you had several kings, and finally, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in three deportations, 605, 597, 586, three deportations, took the people of the southern kingdom captive into Babylon. In the first deportation, 605 B.C., Daniel went in that one. In the second one, Ezekiel went, 597 B.C. In the third one, Jeremiah was kidnapped and taken down into Egypt. So the, uh, the final captivity of the southern kingdom, Judah, the two tribes, was in 586 B.C. So they lasted for another 135 years. Now they were in Babylon for approximately 70 years. From 605, when they first went in there, to 535, or that can be figured from 586, the third deportation, until the time the temple was finished in 516 B.C. It can be figured either way. Seventy years, captivity. Seventy years, captivity. Seventy years, captivity. That's important, not only for the seventy years, but it's also important for the most strategic 
prophecy about Israel in the Old Testament, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9. Whenever I go out and speak, they ask me to speak on prophetic conference, especially in Israel, I start with what I consider to be the key prophetic passage in the nation Israel. That's Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Daniel's 70 weeks. There are 70 weeks of years. 490 years. 483 of those years run from the decree to rebuild the walls, 445 B.C., 446 B.C., under Artaxerxes Longomanus, 20th year of Artaxerxes, from 445 B.C. until Messiah was presented as prince of triumphal entry. 483 years. Then God put his hand on the clock of Israel. And it hasn't ticked one second since that day. After the rapture of the church, when two, three, four, five years later, when the head of the revived Roman Empire, the man of sin, signs that covenant with the nation of Israel, while the ink is still wet on the document, God's going to take his hand off the nation of Israel, uh, off, off the clock of Israel, and that last week of seven years will tick. And that is the tribulation. The tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel 9.27 is expanded in Revelation 6 through 19. And the tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel. When that's finished, that 70th week, then Jesus Christ, will return to this earth. John 14, 3, If I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, heaven, there you may be also. That's not the second coming of Christ. That's the rapture of the church. For the second coming, Jesus would have said, I will come again to you that where you are, there I will be. But he said, I'm going to come receive you unto myself, heaven, that where I am, heaven, there you may be also. That's the rapture. Then, eight, nine, ten years later, after the tribulation, Jesus Christ will return to this earth in his, what I call, his second beachhead upon this earth. And as he was born in Bethlehem, literally, Micah 5, 2, so he will put his feet on the Mount of Olives, literally, Zechariah 14, 4, and set up his theocratic kingdom. They rejected the king, didn't they? They rejected the theocracy under Saul. They said, we want a human king. We don't want the divine king. And that day, they will have the divine king. And that day, they will be under the reign of the beneficent despot Jesus Christ, the 70th week of Daniel. And that day, all Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 36 and 37, Ezekiel 36 and 37, all the 12 tribes will be brought back and reunited once again. Well, after those 70 years, they went on back and set up a kingdom, but they were still dependent on foreign powers. First Persia, 
then Greece, then the Greco-Macedonian, and then the Roman, and not until 1947 has Israel, since 586 B.C., not until 1947 has the nation of Israel had a, an independent state free of external authority and pressure. Now, what I'm going to do is to structure this and put in the king, then I'm going to sign you, see, I'm going to sign you a lesson. And that is to get your Bible and to fit in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Lamentations. And I hope you put in Jeremiah and Lamentations the same place. I hope you know that there's no prophet by the name of Lamentations. See, you know that, see. I hate to look at one of those and find Jeremiah here and a hundred years later, Lamentations. See, it's all. kind of like I heard a friend of mine used to preach, Jimmy Johnson, and he used to talk about Noah and the flood, only he called it N-O-R-A, Noah. He had a kind of humorous story he told about Noah and the flood, Noah. I, and I always laughed at that. Uh, yeah, I wanted to encourage him, so I laughed at his joke, even though I heard it about a dozen times. And so I laughed at it. Noah. One day I was grading the paper, and uh, sure enough, uh, it was on the Old Testament, on the book of Genesis, and a young lady wrote in about the flood, and I mean she was dead serious, that in the flood God preserved N-O-R-A, Noah, see. So I hope you don't put lamentation as a separate one. Put in those prophets, you'll be able to determine. How will you be able to determine them? Kind of a Shakespearean aside here for a minute or two. How will you be able to determine it? Well, well, you look at the very beginning of most of these prophets, and they, they uh, identify the period. Look at Isaiah 1-1, for example. Look quickly at Isaiah 1-1. Now, this is not true of all of them, but it's true of many of them. And, and if it's not found in the first verse, it's found somewhere else later on in the book. And you can identify all of these. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Isaiah identifies the period in which he prophesied in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. And we read there, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw, that's not the Amos of the old the, of the prophecy. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of who? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Now look here. Hezekiah was a king. They're all kings of the south. They're all kings of Judah. Hezekiah was a king whose, whose reign stretched across the captivity of the northern tribes. So you, here's where Isaiah reigned. Uh, here's where he prophesied, right in this period. You put Isaiah right there. He started before, he started before the northern tribes went to captivity, but he lasted through, through the captivity of the northern tribes. Probably lasted till about 695 B.C. So that's the way you... Uh, determine where these prophecies fit in. And that's what I'm going to assign you. If I can get this structured, 
put the kings in here, then I'm going to assign you to put the books in, see, to do it yourself. By doing it yourself, then you're going to learn where these books, much, much, much more effective than if I gave you an outline of this period. Now, having said that, let's move along. We're in the monarchy era, and the monarchy era, there are three periods, United Kingdom, Divided Kingdom, and Single Kingdom. Not only are there three periods in this monarchy era, there are four very critical events. And I asked you last time to read those four critical events. Four critical events in the monarchy period. The first one is this one right here, which is the choice of the first king. Now, who was that first king? So, that's the first one. That's event number one. The second event is the division of the kingdom. The division of the kingdom. So that we've got from this point on the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, two, uh, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, Judah, two tribes. That's the division. That takes place in 930 B.C. at the death of what man? Solomon. This choice of the first king takes place in, in the, at the beginning of Saul's reign. Saul was chosen, the first king, 1050 B.C. or 1043 B.C. This is 930 B.C. Then the third great event is the fall, the captivity, captivity, of the northern kingdom in 721 B.C. The ten tribes, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, went into captivity. Their capital city was Samaria. And they went into captivity, and they fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians, who invented crucifixion. They impaled their enemies, invented crucifixion. Then the fourth great event takes place right here, and that's the fall or the captivity of the what? Southern kingdom, right. Now, I got one of you with me here. The captivity of the southern kingdom. How many tribes in the southern kingdom? How many tribes in the northern kingdom? When did the northern kingdom fall? 721. When did the southern kingdom fall? 586. To whom did the northern kingdom fall? Assyria. To whom did the southern kingdom fall? Babylon. Babylon. 586 B.C. in the third final deportation. Three deportations, 605, 597, 586. The same king, Nebuchadnezzar, same king. But he came up three times. And three times they rebelled. And the third time he came up, 588 B.C., he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for about 18 months to 586 B.C. Finally, he was able to break down the walls, to breach the walls, and he invaded the city. When he invaded the city, he broke down the walls of Jerusalem and he looted the temple took the vessels of the temple over to Babylon and destroyed the temple. And so won 
Later on, Daniel 5 in Babylon, when they were drinking that night, and the words came across the wall, meaning, meaning, tekel upharsin, they were drinking out of the vessels from the temple that they looted and brought over to Babylon. Then, under Nehemiah 4, 445, 444 B.C., under Nehemiah, who was living in Persia, Babylon had fallen. Persia was now the great power. And, and under, <coughs> under Nehemiah, under, first of all, pardon me, under, uh, uh, in the book of Ezra, under Zerubbabel, under Zerubbabel, they came back 536 and started rebuilding the temple and finished it and dedicated it in 516 B.C. And that's told us in the book of Ezra. Ezra, the temple. Ezra, the temple. Ezra, the temple. Post-exilic book, after the exile. Ezra, the temple. Then, almost 100 years later, 444 B.C., Nehemiah, who is the cup-bearer to the king, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes Longamanus, was allowed by the king to go back to Jerusalem. And he began the rebuilding of the what? Walls. What had been broken down in 586 B.C.? The temple and the walls. So the temple rebuilt 516 B.C., the temple, book of Ezra. The walls rebuilt in 444 B.C., at least they started on it, rebuilt the walls of the temple, and the book that tells us about that is the book of Nehemiah. Four critical events. Choice of the first king, Saul, 1050, that's 1 Samuel 8. Number two, the division of the kingdom into two parts, the northern Israel, ten tribes, the southern Judah, two tribes, 930 B.C. Third, the captivity of the northern kingdom, Israel, the ten tribes, 721 B.C. They were captured by what power? Assyria, not Syria, Assyria. And then the fourth great event is the captivity of the southern kingdom, about 130 years later, 586 B.C., the southern tribes taken into captivity, and they fell captive to what power was that? Babylon. Yeah, Babylon, often called the Neo-Babylonian Empire because there was an older Babylonian Empire back around 2000 B.C., and this is called the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Now, that's the monarchy period, and in the monarchy period, in between these four events, like in between these four fingers, one, two, three spaces, in between the four fingers, one, two, three spaces. So in between these four events, there are three periods. This is all the monarchy era, monarchy governed by kings. In this monarchy era, four key events. And between these four key events are the United Kingdom, which began with the choice of the first king, 
and end with the division of the kingdom. Second, the divided kingdom, which began with the division of the kingdom and ended with the captivity of the northern kingdom. And third, the single kingdom, and I don't have that up there, the single kingdom, which uh, here's the united kingdom, the divided kingdom, and this is the single kingdom, <clears throat> which runs from the captivity of the northern, starts with the captivity of the northern kingdom and runs to the captivity of the southern kingdom, and that's all the monarchy period. Now, let's look at Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. That's somewhat the key verse. Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. Now, <clears throat> I hope we won't take five minutes finding Hosea. Go, Hosea, right after Daniel. Daniel, Hosea. Daniel, and then Hosea. Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. Here's somewhat of a key verse, a very critical verse. Gives us God's perspective on the monarchy era. Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, verse 10. Uh, verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king, theocracy. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and princes. First Samuel 8. So I gave thee a king in mine what? Yeah, the decretive will of God, not the preceptive will of God. Decretive will of God. I gave thee a king in my anger. First Samuel 8. I gave thee a king in my anger, and I took him away. I will take him. That's a prophetic perfect. I will take him away in my wrath. Probably referring to the fall of the northern kingdom. That's God's perspective of the monarchy period. I gave you a king in my anger, but I gave him to you. You know, that's a principle. If we keep after God and keep after him and ask him and ask him and ask him and ask him, finally God gives it to us. God will give it to us. As the Lord says in the Psalms, uh, uh, he gave them their request but sent leanness into the soul. So Hezekiah kept after God. I want to live. I want to live. No, said the Lord, it's time for you to go home. I want to live. No, I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. So God gave him 15 more years, and there were 15 years filled with tragedy and sorrow. And during that time, he showed the Babylonians those vessels in the temple. And 100 years later, they burned down the temple and looted the vessels and took them to Babylon, and out of those vessels they were drinking in Daniel chapter 5. He gave Hezekiah his request, but sent leanness into his soul. See? You better, and I better, submit to the will of God even when we may not like it. So he says, I gave them a king in mind what? Yeah. I gave it to them. They kept after me, First Samuel 8. I kept after me. So I said, all right, I'll give them king in my anger. And I took them away in my wrath. Now, one other thing. When we come to this period uh, of the 
monarchy period, of these, of the whole monarchy period now, this whole monarchy period, united kingdom, divided kingdom, single kingdom, there is a triple perspective on this. And uh, I thought I had it here somewhere, but I guess I don't. Here it is. Or is it? It is. All right, there it is. Now, this is, the, this is a perspective on the monarchy, monarchy period, which is the United Kingdom, divided kingdom, and single kingdom. There's a perspective, a triple perspective, a triple perspective on, on, on this thing. Uh, it's, it's somewhat like, uh, what shall we say? Well, like uh, the Menil-Lair Report. Uh, McNeil Lair Report, which I happen to think is a pretty good uh, program, McNeil Lair Report. And you know what they do on that McNeil Lair Report at 6.30? They get two perspectives. They get a pro and a con, and a pro and a con. And then both the men, McNeil and Lair, bore in and probe the weak spots of the man, which is what they ought to do. And uh, they get a double perspective on that way. Whatever may be the issue, they get a double perspective on the thing. Now, we've got a triple perspective of this monarchy period, the monarchy period, from 586, uh, from, nine, from 1050 to 586 B.C., a triple perspective. Now, <clears throat> and that... Re that corresponds to the three offices that God gave to the nation of Israel and which are all headed up in one person, the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are three major offices. Can anybody tell me what those three major offices were? Prophet, priest, king. Now, that wasn't by act. That wasn't my accident. Why did God give them prophet, priest, and king? Because sin did, in Genesis 3, sin affected Adam and the human race three ways. First of all, sin blinded man so that man can't reason his way to God. No man can search out God. <coughs> sin blinds man to God. So God, uh, man needs someone to tell him about God. Man needs someone reveal God to him. That's the function of the prophet. Secondly, man is alienated from God by his sin. What did Adam do when he sinned in Genesis chapter 3? Hid, didn't he? Hid behind the tree. Isaiah 59, ear of the Lord not heavy, arm not short, and he cannot say, your sins have separated between you and your God. Sin alienates. And to graphically depict that, God chased Adam out of the garden to depict his alienation from God. And once Adam was alienated from God, Genesis 3, man soon became alienated from his fellow man, Genesis 4. So I need someone who could put his hand on me, put his hand on God, and bring us back together again. And... Whose function is that? That's the priest. Then my will, then my will is in 
subordinate to God. I'm in rebellion against God. So I need somebody to rule over me for God. And who would that be? Well, that's the king. Now, we don't have the time. We don't have the time. But if you will read Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 1, uh, 4 to 6, you'll find that Jesus Christ embraces all three offices in these. He is God's perfect prophet, God's perfect priest, God's perfect king. Matter of fact, it's also given to us beautifully in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. You listening? Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says three times that he is greater than, a greater than so-and-so is here. Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 12, a greater than so-and-so is here. First one, a greater than Solomon is here. Second one, a greater than the temple is here. The third one, a greater than Jonah is here. Greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than the temple. Jonah, representing the prophet, a greater prophet, God's last word. Greater than the temple, representing the priest. And a greater than Solomon, representing the great king of the nation of Israel. Jesus is God's perfect prophet, priest, and king. But in the Old Testament, we have these three perspectives. One more thing. God jealously separated two divisions. A, a, a king could be a prophet. A king could be a prophet. And a prophet could be a priest. But never, never could you combine the priestly office and the kingly office. See? The prophetic office and the priestly office, yes. Yes, the prophetic office and the priestly office, yes. The prophetic office and the kingly office, David, yes. But never the kingly office and the priestly office. Now, someone tried to do a breach that immediately. You know who that was? Saul. No sooner had Saul been appointed king than 1 Kings chapter Samuel 13, he tried to offer a sacrifice. And because of that, God said, I am going to reject your house, your dynasty. Two chapters later, God said, I'm going to reject you. First Samuel 13, I'm going to reject your house. First, Kings, first Samuel 15, I'm going to reject you. Why did God reject it? Because he tried to put these two together. What two? King and priest. See, that lies behind our separation of state and religion in America. That separation goes back to Old Testament days. Our founding fathers were aware of that. When Thomas Jefferson, who happened to be a, a, a deist and not a theist, a deist, not a Christian, when Thomas Jefferson was asked uh, one time, well, what are the great contributions you have made uh, to American life, he thought for a few minutes, he said, well, uh, perhaps three. First, the work in the Revolution, the Constitution, Declaration, Constitution. Second, the founding 
of the University of Virginia. Third, the disestablishment of religion in America. That, and by disestablishment, that religion is not supported by the state. And we don't want that. That started with Augustine, uh, with Constantine. Constantine paid his soldiers to get baptized. He, that's where military deferment for ministers, priests, really started. That's where tax deduction for churches started. All of these things by which the state supported the church began back in the days of Constantine, and within about 70 years later, Christianity was the state religion, and that marked the corruption of the church that point. And God said, keep that wall between the priest and the king's office, see? But in, in, in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah is speaking of the messianic reign of the Lord Jesus. The prophet Zechariah speaking of the messianic reign of the Lord Jesus says that the Lord Jesus will be a priest upon his throne. He will combine those offices. Why? Because he's infinitely perfect. You won't have to worry about him. See? You won't have to worry about him abusing his power. So he's going to be a priest upon his throne, but not until that day. See? That's why we are disinclined to elect a preacher to the president. Not that there'd be anything wrong with it, if he could keep that out. But that's why Thomas Jefferson introduced the disestablishment of religion. And that day, no. In that future day, uh, all power will be placed in the hands of the beneficent despot, and nobody will have to worry about that. See? The only people that will have to worry in that day are people who want to sin. See, that's the only people. And he'll rule it with a rod of iron. There's a beautiful verse, I ought not to take the time, but I am. Uh, you know, we think that our modern form of government and so on and, and, and separation of powers is a rather recent thing. It's not. In fact, our American revolution is built upon the glorious revolution of England, 1688-89. Our 10 Bill of Rights are built upon the 13 Bill of Rights that they were able to wrest from James II, 1688-1689. Well, way back before that, way back before that, there's a designation of the separation of powers. Look at Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33. Here is a millennial scene and a beautiful scene. Isaiah chapter 33. Last, uh, last, week before last on, I was in a Bible conference and uh, on Tuesday night, I spoke on the millennial reign of Christ out at the church which one of our graduates is pastoring, Hartman Heights Baptist Church, spoke on the millennium. And uh, uh, we looked at this passage by way of conclusion. And that passage is in Isaiah chapter 33. If I can find Isaiah. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 33. Beautiful chapter. Verse 17, Isaiah 33, verse 17. Here's a picture of the messianic reign of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, thine eyes shall see the king. 
in his beauty, the Lord Jesus. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that's very far off. That's the land of Palestine. Thine heart shall meditate terror. Where's scribe? Where's the receiver? Where's he that counts the towers? Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of deeper speech than thou canst perceive of stammering tongue. Thou canst not understand. Look upon Zion, Jerusalem, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem a what? Not today. What is it today? An armed camp. An armed camp. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem a quiet. And he doesn't mean by Jerusalem, by the way. He doesn't mean heaven. He means the Jerusalem. The Jerusalem over there yonder in Palestine. A tabernacle shall not be taken down. Not one of its stakes shall be ever removed. Neither shall any of its cords be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto a place of broad rivers and streams. When shall no, go no galley with oars. Neither shall gallant ship pass by. No galley with oars. No slave trade in the millennium. Neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. No battleship. See, Reagan wouldn't have any problem in those days. <laughs> and his opponents, because he wouldn't have to put any money. They're not going to have to spend any money in munitions in those days. Why? Because in the millennium, all men will be under the rule of a man who's going to rule with a rod of iron. No munitions. And, there, and no case is going to drag to the courts for three years. Every case will be almost instantly adjudicated. And it will be adjudicated fairly. Will there be judges? Yes, the Bible indicates that in the millennium there are going to be sub-rulers and there are going to be judges. But cases will be adjudicated quickly. Why? One reason is because the Lord Jesus will be present. And he can see. Nobody's going to be able to fool a jury in that day, see. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Now, look at verse 22. No, no slave trip, no slavery, no normal slavery, no white slavery. No slavery, no battleship. Verse 22. For the Lord is our, what? The Lord is our supreme court. The Lord is our what? Lawgiver? Is that right? The Lord is our Congress, see, legislative. The Lord is our king, executive. The Lord Jesus, he will save us. When our founding fathers uh, uh, drew up plans for the government of, of our country, they had a long history, especially in England, of tyranny. They had suffered under the, under the reigns of King James I and Charles I and... and uh, and um, uh, Charles II and King James II for about a, almost um, a hundred years, they had suffered the tyranny of these men. They had a long history of that. So when our founding fathers drew up the Constitution, they divided authority. They took a third of it and put it over here in the judicial, the Supreme Court, the courts. Then they took another third and put it over here in the lawmaking, legislative. Then they took another third and put it over here in the executive, the president. Sometimes the executive gets stronger than the other two. 
Sometimes the legislature gets stronger. Sometimes the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice, gets stronger. Our first presidents had trouble with that right at the very beginning. See, that's not something that President Roosevelt had trouble with. That was right at the very beginning of, his, of our history. But in the over a period of time, we tend to balance out. We think that the courts today, the, the Supreme Court especially, uh, is uh, exercising more authority than is allotted to it, perhaps. But that'll balance out in time. Over a period of time, that balances out, see. And our founding fathers, very wisely, split up the pie. One-third here, one-third here, one-third here. Why? Because they had a long history of tyranny in Europe and England. And they knew what that saying meant, that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And no man can be trusted with power. No man. But one day, one day, one day, there will return, there will come to this world someone in whom will be vested all power, legislative, judicial, executive. The Lord is our judge, legislative, supreme, uh, uh, judicial, supreme court. The Lord is our lawgiver, legislative, Congress. The Lord is our king, executive. All the reins of power will be vested in his hands. And nobody's going to complain. See. Then will be the reign of one who is infinitely wise, infinitely just, infinitely loving, infinitely kind, and infinitely powerful, so that he can execute his will. And nobody will flaunt justice in that day. And the Bible says every man will sit under his own fig tree. Every man will sit. What does that mean? Well, that means that I'm going to get just what I work for, see? They're going to work in the millennium. If I work hard and invest wisely, then I'm going to receive it. If I loaf around, then I'm not. Every man's going to sit under his own fig tree. Then will be a period of justice and equity in that day, the reign of beneficent despot. Now, let's get on back to our subject, from which we have long since departed. <laughs> All right, now we come to the United Kingdom. United Kingdom. Under each one of these uh, periods, we're going to take up uh, uh, six things, are we not? Six things under each one of them. And let's get those six, and then we'll have to leave the the fifth one of the events. Under each period and under the United Kingdom period, we're going to look at, 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 at six things. What's the first one? Scripture. And what's the second one? Theme. And what is the third one? Geography. And the fourth one? Dates. And the fifth one? Events. And the sixth one is uh, persons, right? Persons. 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 I used, to, I used to have that man, you know. Then about three years ago, I had to revise all my notes, put in there persons. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so anyway, scripture, theme, geography, dates, events, and persons. All right, the scripture. What scripture gives us the United Kingdom? Well, uh, 1 Samuel 
8 to 31, all of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings 1 to 11, and 1 Chronicles chapter 10. That's the scripture that covers the United Kingdom period. Now that's on the outline, is it not? Is that on the outline? Uh, oh, it doesn't have Chronicles. All right. Well, Chronicles chapter 10 is there. Uh, uh, you, uh, uh, you know, I, I, that reminds me I forgot something here. I got sidetracked. Let's go back here. Three perspectives. I don't know how we got sidetracked on this one, but I need to look at this. And I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Mr. Matthew. I think you were the one that got me sidetracked, so you deserve to bring it up. All right, now, when you look here, how many offices? Prophet, priest, king. Prophet, priest, king. All right, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings and 2 Kings gives the kingly perspective of Israel's history. 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings gives the kingly perspective of Israel's history. Matter of fact, in the uh, Septuagint, that's called 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Kings. Not called 1st and 2nd Samuel. Called 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Kings. And the Hebrew Bible, both Samuels are put together and both Kings are put together. So this gives us a kingly perspective of history. Now, the minor, major and minor prophets what perspective do you think they're going to give us? The prophetic, prophetic, prophets, prophetic viewpoint, prophetic viewpoint, prophetic viewpoint. Now, first and second chronicle, there's only one left. What's that going to be? Come on now. What are those three offices? Prophet, priest, and king. Priestly. Now, I wonder if you listen here. This, this is the one that's important right here in some respects. When you come to First and Second Chronicles, when you come to First and Second Timothy, uh, to Samuel, First and Second Kings, you'll find that <clears throat> these four books deal with both the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. When you come to Chron- uh, First and Second Chronicles, they only they only deal with the Southern Kingdom. Matter of fact, you look in vain in Chronicles for the fall of the Northern Kingdom. You don't find it. Why? Why? Because Chronicles is written from the, no, priestly. Out of what tribe is the priest going to come? Judah. Out of what will the Messiah come? The tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom. So they're not interested in the northern kingdom. And, and when you study it, you'll find that they pass over virtually all together the events in the northern kingdom, that is First Second Chronicles, and they focus on the events that take place in the southern kingdom. That's the priestly perspective. So, in First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, we have the kingly perspective of the whole monarchy period. In the prophets, we have the prophetic perspective, and in First Second Chronicles, we have the priestly perspective. Now, the reason I'm saying that is that's why we have, going back over here on this scripture, First and Second Chronicles right there is because First Chronicles 10, they don't give us much because they're not interested in that. Now, what's the theme? You've got it on that outline. Isn't that correct? 
All right, the rise and glory of the Hebrew what? Monarchy. The rise was Saul and David. What's the second word? The rise and what? Glory. Glory. The rise and glory. The greatest period of the Hebrew monarchy was in the days of Solomon. And we'll see that later in 1 Kings chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll see that Solomon raised from the river, the Nile, all the way up to the river Euphrates. The extent of Solomon's empire was the greatest of any day. The Hebrew monarchy was at its zenith in the period of Solomon. After that, it began to decline. The rise and glory of the Hebrew monarchy. Number three, the geography. Well, what's the geography? Obviously, Palestine, all of Palestine, uh, really three things, all of Palestine. Number one, secondly, Philistia. Who were the constant enemies of Israel during this period? The Philistines. Not until David's day were they really conquered. Where did David, when he was haunted by Saul, where did David flee? Down to the Philistine cities. So we need to know something about Philistia and the Philistines in this area. And then there are <clears throat> certain cities that we need to know about. Saul was killed up here, up in the valley of Jezreel, which is right in through here. And Saul, up Mount Gilboa, that's where Saul committed suicide. And when David was running from Saul, he was journeyed all through here, way down here, up here, up here. And, and you need to know something about the geography to follow those, those flights of David as he ran from Saul, the geography. All right, number four, what are the dates? Well, the dates are 1050 to 930 B.C. How do you get that? Will you look with me at three passages? Acts 13, verse 1 is the first one. <coughs> Acts chapter 13. Acts 13 is the first one. And I'll have to find the verse. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verse 21. Acts 13, 21. What does it say? And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them uh, Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of how many years? Forty years. All right. That's Saul. That's 40 years. All right. Now let's go to first, uh, to second Samuel, to second Samuel chapter five, to second Samuel chapter five. And I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Or, um, uh, yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned how long? So we got the second one. 2 Samuel uh, David, 40 years, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. Now let's look at second, 1 Kings, chapter 11. 1 Kings, chapter 11. Now that's going to be easy. That's only one more book. 1 Kings, chapter 11. First Kings, chapter 11. 
Look at verse 41. The rest of the Acts, 1 Kings 11, 41. The rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written the books of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was how long? All right, Solomon, 40 years. So 40, 40, 40, 120. 1050 to 930 B.C. Now, David and Saul may have overlapped seven years. So that's sometimes you see this date, 1043 to 930. That's because of that overlap of seven years. Now, number five, what are the events? Three simple events. A, the life, the reign, the reign, the kingship, the kingship of whom? Saul. And number two, the kingship of David. And number three, the kingship of Solomon. The kingship of Saul, that's uh, 1 Samuel 8 to 31. The kingship of David, that's all of 2 Samuel. And the kingship of Solomon, that's 1 Kings 1 to 11. That's very simple. Next time, we're going to take that up. I'd hope we'd cover Saul this time, but we didn't. We didn't. We, this... Uh, um, you have to kind of ease in on this monarchy period and, and um, set some background, and we took a little time. Now, who would be some of the men involved here? Persons. Number six. Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, General Joab, Abner, Jonathan, Ish-Bosheth, whoever that was. See? These would be some of the men that we'd need to know about, some of the people that we'd need to know about in the... Uh, in the persons. All right, uh, next time now we're going to take up uh, Saul. Now, what I'd, I'd like to assign you something. What is that? I'd like to assign you to read 1 Samuel chapter 8 to chapter 31. 1 Samuel 8 to 31. That gives us the reign of Saul. 1 Samuel 8 to 31. Now, let me make about three announcements very quickly. I want to thank thee for our study. We want to thank thee for these men that have come out. We know this study's been a little difficult, a little hard, yet at the same time we believe that what we've looked at this morning is important for our understanding, our grasp on the perspective and movement of the Old Testament, and our understanding of the monarchy period of Israel's history. We know that this is probably the most difficult and seemingly most confusing period of history of Israel. And we need to get this, and so uh, we thank thee, our Father, that thou hast helped the men to stay awake and to listen attentively. We pray that out of this, they may be able to read their Bibles much more effectively, to, and, and through this, we may all come to love thee more devotedly. And as we read the lives of these men like Saul, we may learn, be warned by their failures, by their discouragements. We pray for this request that's been brought to us for this pastor's son. We know this has broken his heart. We know that often uh, people tend to use this against a pastor or somebody in that position. So we pray for him that thou'll undertake for him. Give him a sense of thy presence. 
Give them a grip upon thy providence. Help them to understand that God can even use an evil situation and work it out to his glory. So that he may say with Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Give us a good day today. Bring across each one of us, uh, our path, each one of us, uh, somebody with whom we can share the gospel and give to some of these men, perhaps some who've never had the joy, the joy of introducing a lost soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name.